Hi-ho, hi-ho, and welcome to our February episode of Now and Then, Flatto Academy Theater. Did you miss us? I hope you did. We took a little break just to give our crack staff a little bit of a holiday breather, and we're back in full force for the next little while. My name is Randy Reed. I am your congenial host for this episode, and we'll be introducing you to some very interesting people and a couple of great stories coming up your way. Uh, We're going to start off today with a gentleman uh, named Alan Cottro. Normally, we have Craig Metcalf, who's the general manager at the theater. He does the upcoming events. But this time, we're going to change it up a little bit, and Alan is going to provide that for you. Alan is a fine fellow, and he is the operations manager at the theater, basically Craig's right-hand man. And so uh, I had a chance to talk with him at the theater. So here we go with Alan Cottro. Okay, we're here at the theater with a, a gentleman who is a very important cog in the wheel here at the Academy Theater. His name is Alan Cottrell, and Alan, welcome. Thank you very much, Randy. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your role here at the theater? Yeah, so I'm the operations manager here at the theater, so uh, pretty much anything that's happening in this theater is, is falling under my responsibility. Uh, administrative part uh, with regards to setting up the contracts and booking all of the different acts, uh, making sure we've got all the information for sound and lighting, um, scheduling the volunteers, uh, running the websites, running the box office and all of the tickets, and uh, taking out the garbage. So just uh, just about everything that happens here, I'm I'm involved uh, one way or the other. Oh, that's great. Well, good for you. And you've been doing this for how long now? I've been here two years now. Good for you. Uh, we're also talking about while we're here, we're going to talk about what's happening at the theater in February and maybe even a couple of things in March. Yeah. So we we this is an exciting time at the uh, the theater. We've got some really good acts booked uh, this year. Uh, but coming up in February, we've got uh, we've got the Trues on February 9th, a uh, fantastic uh, Canadian band uh, with some great hits, so that's going to be exciting. We've also got Dwayne Gretzky on uh, February 22nd, which is uh, a group of extremely talented uh, performers. They have they do a, a wide variety of music, um, so they're going to be extremely entertaining to see. And some local connections with that band as well. They do. It's incredible the amount of local connections that we have had through this uh, this theater. Something in, is in the water in Lindsay that has uh, <laughs> created a lot of uh, quality talent uh, in the entertainment business, for sure. Yep, you're right. In March, what's happening? We've got a couple of biggies coming up. Yeah, in March we've got uh, we've got ABBA revisited. They were here last year, and uh, if you are an ABBA fan, all the, these guys are going to uh, um, have you danced in the aisles. They're fantastic. We've got a, a group called Choir, Choir, Choir coming on March third. That is basically a, a, a sing along type event where. The, the organizers, they get everybody in the, uh, involved in the theater, uh, the, the entire uh, audience. And it's going to be based on uh, Fleetwood Mac. Um, so that's the kind of music that you're going to be singing. So if you ever wanted to have a chance to sing in the theater, um, this is your chance because uh, it, it is a lot of fun. Rave uh, reviews for them. Rave yes. reviews. 
And of course, we've got uh, the annual marquee event fundraiser for Women Resources this year. We've got Colin James on the uh, the 8th of March, and uh, I, I certainly don't have to go into uh, what, uh, what he's all about. Famous, fabulous uh, Canadian um, talent. A few more that we've got. We've got the Traveling Milburys on March 16th, obviously a tribute to the Traveling Wilburys. Uh, I've seen some... Uh, um, some of the videos for these guys and they are fantastic. Uh, the Sheepdogs, another uh, very popular Canadian band originated I think in Saskatchewan on the 18th of March, um, so fantastic music there. One of our own productions, uh, we've got Big Sugar, an excellent blast from the past as well, some really good uh, music uh, for Big, Big Sugar, that's on March 23rd. And uh, that, that rounds out what we've got uh, in March, but still some really good stuff that we're hoping to announce shortly in the coming months. That's great. Thank you, Alan, for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Randy. We are going to, for the next couple of months, actually, it's, it's, it's my doing, we are going to be doing something fairly selfish on my part. We are going to be talking about a band called The Odyssey Project. I was fortunate enough to be asked to be one of the instructors of this group. They were a high school rock band that uh, was formed back in 2006, and it featured a rhythm section, and it featured a horn line, and it featured a section of singers, and we had a lot of fun. We were with that band, worked with that band for about nine years, and through the nine years, 86 students from various high schools in the area went through that program. So over the next couple of episodes, I'm going to be introducing you to a few of the people that were in that band and who better to kind of introduce the, the whole concept of the Odyssey Project than its founder and head honcho, Mr. David Morrison. My buddy David Morrison, we're going to talk about the Odyssey Project. Um, for the next two or three episodes of the podcast, I'm going to be delving into the Odyssey Project, which was one of my, one of my um, really, really important groups that I worked with over the years. So David was the one that put the whole deal together, and we're going to talk about the original, how the group came to be to begin with. So David, thank you for your time. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. So tell me, I think I know the story, but tell me how the thing kind of came to be. Um, well, I think part of it was um, inspired by a couple groups that we had, that I hosted when I was at LCVI. Um, we hosted a group, a school group from, from Victoria, BC, called the Midnights, and we had them do, we, we used to run those um, school matinee concerts at the Academy Theater, and um, they were the performers at one of those um, shows, and it was, a, it was a what they did all sorts of R&B stuff, and they had a little horn section and a rhythm section and a few singers, and when I saw them doing that, and doing it so confidently and, and having so much fun, I thought, wow, that would be fun to do. You know, we could do that. We have the people. So that was sort of the seed, I think, in my mind. And then uh, just going from there, we, we also had the opportunity to host a group from Sudbury um, 
evolutionary, um, which was a, a bigger production kind of um, show. High school group, again, was this high school music program, and they came down. I think Valcaran is the actual place they were from. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 And um, they, they uh, were our guest performers once, and it was a similar kind of thing, more rock-based, uh, you know, more contemporary even than uh, the uh, group from Victoria. But once I had seen a couple groups do it, it sort of was enough inspiration to say, yeah, we, we have the students and we have the, the coaches, you know, we could do something like that. So. And this would be somewhere around 2005 probably, right? Yeah, sort of, yeah. yeah, I think okay. uh, the summer of 2006 probably was when uh, spent the summer just trying to figure out how we do this you know <laughs> that's probably when I reached out to all of you yeah to you and Eric Smeaton and yeah and I think we had Kate Emery on board to yes. do all of the the logistics all of the business side of yep. stuff and and uh, but as a as a little team then we were able to sort of put the whole thing together and the first year I think was a real learning curve because it was so <laughs> We and how did how did you decide on the people that you wanted? Um, some were people that um, I knew at school. They, they were students that I was right. working with already. And we had just done, um, the year before, um, uh, we had started TLAC. And so I think that's where uh, I met Andy, I think. Andy because, McNeely. Yeah, Andy McNeely, yes. because he was from Finland, and I yep. think... Um, through Sherry Brenneman, I think, met him at TLAC. Um, but um, between the, those connections from TLAC and um, um, the, what was the other thing? Oh, we had just done Little Shop of Horrors oh, okay. at LCBI. Right. And um, the, the singers largely that were in um, the first year of Odyssey were the people who were involved in Little Shop of there Horrors. Yeah. So um, I had already worked with them a lot and right. and knew knew them really well. So, so that'd be Claire Emery and and, and, and Catherine, and and, yeah, and yeah. yeah, and Kira Loeb, and, yeah. yeah, and Max, um, and that was it. The five of them, right? Yeah, yeah. The first year, yeah. No, it was. I I can remember that first couple of rehearsals. It was <laughs> it was really interesting <laughs> because you had given out some music. I think we had, I don't know, maybe three or four tunes that you gave out yeah. at, the, at the very beginning. And, uh, and the group was really, you know, uh, now what do we do? You know, it was that kind of a thing. <laughs> and uh, I remember um, once the thing started to happen, once it, once it started to kind of gel, um, it, was really, it, was, it was really interesting to watch the, like the, the interaction between the, the players and the singers because a lot of them didn't know one another. They were at different right. schools and, and various things. And um, Andy McNeely, for instance, there's a, a great example. He was, I think, at, at the first rehearsal, he was the only one from Fenland. Mm -hmm. But he, I think, in my mind, kind of became the, the, the leader of, of the group. He was the, the oldest, I think, of the group yes. yeah. by far. He was in grade 12. I think he was in first his big yeah. lap, actually, yeah. Yeah. And um, so everybody kind of looked to him, and he was so positive and so um, so upbeat about the whole deal that uh, 
it started to gel. It started to it started yeah. to to come together, which was really kind of magical. Yeah, I was just thinking of the people that were there um, at the beginning, because we had um, in the horns Etienne. Oh yeah, like yeah. I say, yeah. um, and uh, um, Ian Robbins. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Mackenzie Jenkins. Oh right. Jeez. Yeah. Remember? It's, it's so yeah. long ago now. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And so many almost kids 20, went through there. Almost twenty years. Yeah. And um, yeah, James Ursel, Andy McNeely, uh, Matt Young. Jeez. Um, and you sent me a list. There were 80, 86 kids that went through that. That went through. Yeah. That program. Yeah. Or uh, was it nine, nine years? years. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a that lot. Of, really, a lot of people. That is really something. Braden McGregor. Oh yeah. 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 So, those. Those people, and I think uh, some of them. Um, probably I knew through Graham, through my son Graham. Yes. Um, because they went through French immersion, so they were over at at IU Weldon. Right. And, but I knew them musically through him. And right. So, yeah. yeah, so that's how we kind of pulled that group together. And let's let's pull it back to the Academy Theater because that's what this podcast yeah. is supposed to be about. <laughs> so at the end of the first year, we decided to do a concert at the Academy. Yeah, that was terrifying. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely terrifying. You're right. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, because, I mean, who... Nobody knew who we were no. or anything. Just no. a bunch of kids putting on a concert at the Academy Theater. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, for for what it was, it it was pretty good, I think. And if you remember, we had an opening act. Oh, we had two opening acts, didn't we? Well, one for sure. One that from, I, from yeah, my school. That's right. Called we, the Huskies. That's right. Yep. Yep. And we had the group from Rolling Hills. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah I'd forgotten. Yeah, that Rick. Rick and Terry uh, worked with. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, because we didn't have enough material. That's right. Well, <laughs> exactly. the Odyssey kids to do a full show. There you go. Yeah. And it also brought in lots more audience, right? That's right. That's right. And a couple of those, I know for a fact, a couple of those kids from the Huskies went on to become Odyssey members. Right, Becky and uh, Graham yeah. Snodden. And, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Yes, absolutely. The farm team. There, there you go. There you go. That's right. Literally. Anyway, that's right. David, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's kind of nice to think back to those. Absolutely. Those days. It's a long time ago now. Thank you, David, for giving us that intro to the Odyssey Project. I want to introduce you now to a young fellow that was in the band for one year, our very first year back in 2006 and seven, And his name is Andy McNeely. I first met Andy um, through the band, actually, when he was a high school student at Finland Falls Secondary School. We heard about this fellow from his music teacher at the time, who's uh, well known to a lot of people in the area, Miss Sherry Brenneman, and we're going to be talking about Sherry as well as as we go through this thing. She was very heavily involved in the band. Um, anyway, Andy came on board, and he was in his victory lap year at Fenland Falls, so he was the oldest member of the band, and he quickly established himself as kind of the the leader, the student leader of the band. He had uh, a lot of experience 
uh, and he got along with everybody, and everybody in the band really looked up to him because it was a real it was a real feeling out process during that first year. Now, along with the Odyssey Project, Andy has an incredible story to tell, and you are going to be hearing uh, portions of his story over the next few episodes, actually. So I want you to meet an old friend, Mr. Andy McNeely. Okay, I've mentioned many times over the over the past few months how much I enjoy doing this podcast, partly because I get to see some old friends that I haven't talked to in a while. And this guy is one of them. He uh, was our original drummer in uh, a band called The Odyssey Project, which you're going to be hearing a lot about over the next two episodes for us. And uh, his name is Andy McNeely, and he's got quite a story to tell. So I'm going to um, just chit-chat with Andy for a while, and we'll, uh, we'll kind of guide it back through the, the Academy Theater as we get there. But Andy, thank you for your time today. Well, thank you so much, Randy. I'm really excited to be here with the Now and Then podcast. And uh, yeah, it was. It was the Odyssey Project where we first met, right? Yeah, 2006, was it? I think so. That's yeah. right. It was. And you were just in high school then. It was my victory lap. Yeah, <laughs> it was my victory lap in high school before college. Yeah, in Fenland. In Fenland, yeah, That's Fenland Falls right. Secondary School. So Sherry Brenneman, who was yeah. the head of the music department in Fenland at that time, she mentioned to me that there was a, a new uh, band starting that kind of did something unique where it took a, an amalgamation of all of the schools in the area and uh, I was invited to come play and that's how I met you Randy I was uh, you were I was in the rhythm section and you yep. were in the, you were heading up the rhythm section with uh, Eric Smeaton there you right? go yeah there you go <laughs> and you were in the band for one season or two seasons just the one just season the one. just yeah. the just the that's first right. season yeah no yeah. oh, that's great and you were a godsend for the band because that that year, because we were all kind of feeling our way, um, there were a lot of um, young young people in that band that really had no experience at all uh, when it came to ensemble playing and that type of thing. And you just you were the you were the man. You were the the leader of the whole deal. So we were very pleased to have you. Well, I appreciate that, Randy, because you know what, the Odyssey Project was a real godsend for me too. It was my uh, my gap year between uh, high school and going off to post-secondary studies and having the Odyssey Project really gave me something that I could lean in and work on while I was applying for schools and uh, it was a it was a really great experience being able to do that and you know and having something where I could really keep up on my 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 reading chops I could keep up on performing and learn more about working working in a large ensemble like that yeah. and it was really instrumental to uh, going on to post-secondary music studies. Yeah, oh, that's great. And so let's pick it up from there. So you you finished at Fenland, and then um, you went to Sudbury, right? That's right. So after Fenland, uh, we did we had the Odyssey Project, the first season of the Odyssey Project, which was great because we had uh, lots of performances. We did. Uh, I remember seeing a video a few years ago of me bopping around on the stage at the Academy Theater right, and. Uh, yeah. We got to do that, and then after that, I headed up to Sudbury at Cambrian College when I was studying there. You know, looking back on it, too, the program at Cambrian College was something really special uh, in my life. It was, I didn't I didn't realize it at the time, kind of, I didn't realize Odyssey was either at the yeah. time, you know, how special it was for me, yeah. but being there, I was in a post-secondary music program, but what was, what was really great about, great about being in Sudbury was I was able to get involved with the Sudbury Symphony Orchestra ah. 
and uh, get some playing, some a chance to play with. You know, they were they were a, a B, a high C, a low B level orchestra, right? right that I was playing with, yeah. and they had it was mixed volunteers and professionals, and I was one of the volunteers playing in the orchestra, mm -hmm. and I was really lucky as a student getting to do it. And uh, I got to see how how a real orchestra works yeah. and play in it and uh, go through what all orchestras do. You know, you have to learn repertoire quickly and you have to be able to read and you have to be able to get it together and be there for the rehearsal. And it was a real uh, learning curve doing that. And, and I imagine you played a lot of different percussion instruments too, would you not? Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. So my first concert with the Sudbury Symphony, which I had never, never done something on that scale before was a real baptism by fire. It was a symphony fantastique by Berlioz, and I had to do the bass drum part. Oh yeah, and uh, that was that was something I'd never I'd never been in, in repertoire that intense before. I even remember at the time, my reading wasn't my reading still not that great, right? <laughs> to be honest, my reading's still not that great. I can read music, but my reading wasn't good enough to just sit down and do it the first time. So yeah. what I did was I memorized it. Oh yeah, okay. I just I just listened to it over and over again, and I memorized it, and then I I was really lucky that YouTube existed at the time, and I could go on and I could just listen to orchestras from all over the world, you know, recordings of it, and hear different versions of it and different ways that people approached it, and I just listened to it and I memorized it, and uh, I was able to I was able to play the part, and I I did it. You know, I guess it was well enough because they asked me to come back for the next concert. You <laughs> oh, there know? you go. And it was kind of like that with the Sudbury Symphony Orchestra, even though I had the chance to play with them for three seasons. Yeah. But every gig, I was kind of in the mindset that uh, I better get my get my stuff together because this could be the last, right? <laughs> you know, so I better I better get to the practice room and you know do something, right? Right. And uh, yeah, so I did. Uh, I was doing a lot of repertoire with them, and we did some world premieres some canadian premieres and i was doing everything from you know the drums and the battery to key, mallet mallets keyboard percussion right and uh, uh i didn't do any i didn't do any gigs on the timpani because there was a there was an assigned timpanist in that orchestra who was my teacher at the time ian gibson who is uh he's a fantastic percussionist from the u of t uh graduated the master's program there and now uh he's in uh He's in St. John, St. John, New Brunswick. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, he's over there, and uh, it was really great. It was three season whirlwind, going to school at the same time, doing juries, doing all of these different music education courses too, pedagogy and things like that. Yeah. And then it was a three year whirlwind of intense oh, yeah. music. Yeah, it was really great being in Sudbury and an opportunity that. In bigger cities, I learned this later on, in bigger cities, opportunities like that don't come up for students as often. No, that's true, eh? Okay, so let's pick it up from Sudbury. You leave there and go to Toronto. That's right. So at the end of my uh, three-year tenure in Sudbury, I was uh, accepted to the University of Toronto Faculty of Music. And uh, I moved I moved right to Toronto and... Uh, I, I jumped in, I got really involved in the, <clears throat> as many ensembles as I could. You know, I quickly learned when I went to Toronto how how many really talented people are there are in the world, right? You know, was, when I went there, I, I learned what, you know, what it's like to be in a really big talent pool and how, uh, 
how many people there are that are just really, really good at what they do, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, uh, it was, it was humbling and at the same time empowering, right? And it was just good to be in that mix with people because being around people that are that good all the time just kind of it, it brings you up too, right? Sure. You know, what is it? A rising Absolutely. tide lifts all ships, or yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, I really felt like that there. Oh, you know, it was uh, yeah. I had a chance to play in. Uh, a lot of different ensembles through the school. There was a lot of uh, new music ensembles too, and experimental ensembles, and of course, the percussion ensemble at U of T and the percussion department. Uh, I got to, you know, got to play with some of the best. And I mean, you know, my teachers there too. I have, you know, Russell Hartenberger of Nexus was the head of the percussion department at the time, right? And uh, in my last year at U of T, he was my teacher, and throughout all that time, I so many amazing teachers that you know they're some of them are retired now some of them are uh still at it right bev johnston's still at it and uh i know i had john rudolph he was the principal of the uh toronto symphony at the time and it was uh mark mark duggan who's a very fantastic musician and composer and he's uh he's uh, he's really into ethnomusicology too uh especially brazilian music and that's kind of what my introduction to, uh, I guess, musical cultures of the world was, was through the University of Toronto. There was a lot of courses there that, uh, well, there's Jim Kippen's Intro to Music and Society, which is uh, when you when you start first year at University of Toronto, everyone has to take that class and right. everyone better pass it. Right. <laughs> if you don't, you got to take it again. Right. And that was just a huge introduction to musical cultures of the world and being a kid from Fenland Falls, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was it was a chance to really to really see what was out what was out there and what was going on in the world, right? Okay, that was part one of Andy's story. You will be hearing more from Andy in the coming episodes. The story is really quite fascinating. We are going to be joined now by our good friend Ian McKechnie, who is going to take us back to some. Uh, some very interesting memories of the theater. So here he is, Mr. Ian McKechnie. Yes. All right, we are back with our friend Ian McKechnie. And this this month, um, we're going to talk about a gentleman that um, we had, uh, Ian and I had never heard of this gentleman before, but he was really quite, uh, quite involved in the theater in the early 50s. Ian. Thanks, Randy. Yes, this was a, a character character, I think, would be the best way to describe him, a fellow named Gilbert George Zarfas, that's Z-A-R-F-A-S, and from 1953 through roughly 1968 or so, he directed and produced many of the Kiwanis Club shows uh, in Lindsay at the Academy Theatre, and he was born in 1900 uh, over in Brighton, England, and had a brief stint as a driver, probably of a truck or an ambulance, in the uh, First World War with the 129th Overseas Battalion, which was raised in Canada. And he may in fact have lied about his age to get in because one of the other possible dates for his birth was 1898, two years before. Right. So he was described as being six feet, six inches in height, so a fairly tall fellow, and he was praised uh, by the local uh, reporter, Ford Moynes, as being fast and light on his feet 
and as a stage director, he knew all the angles. <laughs> so he, uh, I wasn't able to find quite when he first showed up in Lindsay, but in 1953, he produced something called the Honeymoon Hotel at the Academy. And by that point, Zarfest had been in the show business for a quarter of a century, 25 years. He apparently got his start uh, in the vaudeville circuit of the 1920s, and later he worked with the Joe Bren Company of Chicago, which was one of the leading producers of minstrel shows that were popular at the time in the American Midwest. And upon his return to Canada, Zarfus was affiliated with the Canadian production company of Hamilton, Ontario, and he would spend most of his professional career thereafter in the Hamilton, Burlington, and Ancaster area, where he ran apparently a picnic and amusement park in oh, Burlington yeah. for oh, some years. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if he during the during the minstrel show years or the vaudeville years, whether he was first introduced to this theater through I'm, that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he would have been familiar with the Academy because it was known, as we know, pretty far and wide. Right, right, yeah. And certainly through through other people and connections in vaudeville. Right. Um, and the minstrel circuit, he would have uh, probably heard the name. Hmm. So he was, um, he was a multi-talented fellow, apart from running amusement parks and um, working in vaudeville, he taught both the speaking parts and he also oversaw the choreography of these shows. And as I said earlier, it was 15 years or so that he did the Kiwana shows in Lindsay. I'm not sure that Mr. Zarfas actually lived here permanently. Um, I could be corrected on that, but I think he was one of these people that was brought in for his professional expertise. Apparently, he also did similar productions in Kingston, uh, Palmerston, Peterborough, Aurelia, and as far away as the Maritime Provinces. Oh. He was very much involved. Um, and the uh, the casts of these shows, and, and it's probably still the case today, the casts of these shows were known as um, to be very large, which is just great for a, for a hometown musical. Yeah. Now... When I go to a, a locally produced show at the Academy, um, whether by Triple Threat or more recently James and the Giant Peach, uh, that had a cast, James did, I think of about 30, yeah. maybe a little bit more. But it's typical here to have a cast of 30, 40 people, tops. But some of these shows that George Zarfes was producing and directing in the 50s, they had casts of you know, 65, 75, 80 people wow. or more. Um, there was one show, the, the Sweetest Girl in Town, which went up in 1955, and there were 15 people just in the main lead roles. Wow. You wonder how the Academy stage could accommodate all that's those people. That's right, yeah, that's a lot of people. And interestingly, that question about... Um, about staging at the Academy and, and how one could accommodate a cast of 80 or 75 or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. uh, that became an issue in 1956. Apparently a new movie screen had been installed, which was fairly late, very late actually, in that building's tenure as a movie theater. And the screen was installed in such a way that it could not be lifted up or moved to accommodate an elaborate set design. <laughs> 
So suggestions were made that a temporary stage be installed in front of the main stage for the purposes of having a live show. I remember people talking about this, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, even I can't really visualize what that arrangement would look like because space down there is kind of at a premium. Well, I think what they did, according to the stories I've heard, was that they took out the first two or three rows of seats and built the stage out from there. And yeah. then realized they didn't want to. They didn't want to lose that that revenue of the of the number of seats that they were missing. So they moved it back whenever whenever possible. And the stage that's there now was rebuilt in the renovation of the early 1960s. Right. Yeah. And I believe it was built out further. Yeah. Than it was originally. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that. Um, that show that uh, Mr. Zarfus produced in '56, it was called "This Way Out." It featured a cast of 75, and everyone wow. seemed to get along, even in cramped accommodations. Um, one of the shows that George Zarfus uh, produced a couple of years later was called was uh, "Oh Susanna," and it ran for four days in October of 1958. And among the people in the cast were, were folks like Harriet Bate, Lawson Blakely, Shirley Moore, Gordon Peppers, Paul Skipworth, and others, some of whom are still very much alive, uh, who would perform at the Academy for many years to come. Mm -hmm. And rehearsals for that production began on September 29, 1958, under the direction of George Zarfus, they didn't take place at the Academy. We're accustomed now, of course, to rehearsals happening late afternoon, early evening, a um, few days a week at the theater. But they took place over at the Recreation Center, which was on Russell Street, where the Value Mart grocery store is now. Right, the, the, old, the old arena site. The old arena, which yeah. itself was a project of the Kiwanis Club. Right. So the apparently the the chorus girls had their rehearsals in the afternoons and then at 7.30 everyone would come back and they would rehearse until almost midnight at wow. the recreation center which was described as being a hive of industry upstairs. <laughs> I imagine with that many people. And Zarfus, uh, George Zarfus, he was known to personally handle almost every aspect of a show right down to, to advertising. Wow. So in 1964, a typical call for casting, and they would print this in the newspapers, mm -hmm. would read, Talent wanted ladies, girls, and men who would like to take part in the Lindsay Kiwanis show and have any singing and acting ability or a little ham in you. <laughs> please report to Mr. George Zarfus, 7 o'clock p.m., October 5th, Lindsay Kiwanis Arena. Kind of sounds like you're signing up for military service. <laughs> That's right. And you notice it says ladies, girls, and men, but not boys. That's right, yeah. Didn't want boys. So in 1960, a couple of years after O Susanna went up, uh, George Zarfus found himself producing another show, which was called My China Doll. Some of these are pretty, maybe unfamiliar uh, to our ears today, but they were quite popular back then. Mm -hmm. And once again, rehearsals were taking place upstairs at the uh, Kiwanis Recreation Center. And I find this uh, kind of funny, Randy, because every production, especially locally produced productions, have their own sort of anecdotes from rehearsal time. And that was also the case here. So there was one scene in My China Doll 
where one character was required to take a pot shot at another character with like a prop pistol <laughs> that may well have, have gone off. And apparently uh, they were lacking an empty pistol at the rehearsal. So George Zarfas simply shouted, bang, <laughs> at about 10 p.m. on the dot. And that caused the whole cast to jump on their feet and apparently all in sundry broke loose <laughs> in the rehearsal. And uh, this story made it into the front page of the paper. <laughs> but that show did very well. It raised $1,100 in profits for the Kiwanis Club, which was quite a lot of money Boy, for the for time. back then, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and... George Zarfas himself died on January 15th, 1971, a couple of months short of his 71st birthday. Apparently he had a brother, I think his name was Frederick Zarfas, who was an evangelist. Oh yeah. And spoke and gave sort of evangelistic rallies at the Academy Theater as well. They were wow. quite, quite a family, yeah. the Zarfas family. Very interesting. Thank you, Ian, as always, very interesting. Um, topic and it just it, it shows you first of all how long the Kiwanis Club has been involved in so many things in this beautiful theater and um, how how involved the community got in in uh, taking part in these productions so thanks again you're welcome and there you have it ladies and gentlemen our February episode of Now and Then Flato Academy Theater. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Randy Reed, and I will be back next month with many more stories, including the next part of uh, Andy McNeely's story, more about the Odyssey Project, including, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a heads up here, including a chat with a couple of guys who were in the Odyssey Project who ended up being asked to join later this month, the Grand Old Opry in Nashville. So stay tuned for that. Thank you to Warren Frank. Thank you to William Ginn. And thank you all of the audience for tuning in. We will be back next month. Please, please, please support the arts. It's important.